0: You're listening to the startup finance podcast on the startup canada podcast network a show entirely focused on helping you to build a financially fit and fundable business on this show we connect you with finance aficionados to impart their expertise to help your business grow the startup finance podcast is a production of startup canada the national rallying community and voice for canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to this Startup Finance podcast through iTunes and Google Play Music. This podcast is presented in partnership with MasterCard, a technology company in the global payments industry. MasterCard's global payments processing network connects consumers, financial institutions, merchants, governments in more than 210 countries and territories. MasterCard products and solutions make everyday commerce activities such as shopping, traveling, running a business, and even managing your finances easier, more secure, and more efficient. I am your host, Dr. Sean Wise, Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ryerson University. I bring more than 19 years' experience in seed investing, including five seasons spent supporting CBC's Dragon's Den. I've published dozens of articles for Profit, Inc., and even Canadian Business, as well as several best-selling books on venture capital, entrepreneurship, and pitching ideas. Want to connect with me after this podcast? Join me at 100stepstostartup.com. We're thrilled to have Mike Lee, president of Fundica.com, on the show today. Fundica is Canada's most successful traditional funding identification and connection platform. It matches entrepreneurs, private investors, public funders, and advisors through an award-winning crowdsourcing technology. Also, Fundica manages the Fundica Roadshow, an annual cross-Canada initiative designed to educate, inspire, and help fund entrepreneurs. If that wasn't enough, Mike is also the president of R&D Partners, a leading R&D funding consultancy. Previously, Mike was the director of corporate finance and development in the BCE Group, where he led several R&D software firm acquisitions and divestitures. Mike was named Entrepreneur of the Year in 2013 by CRM. Canada and Quebec's top 25 emerging entrepreneurs in 2013 by the Bromfin Foundation. In 2015, thanks to his leadership, Fundica received the 2015 Startup Canada Award for entrepreneurial promotion for the Quebec region. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, Sean. I'm really happy to have you here. We could talk about a thousand things, but we only have a half hour. So let's start with an easy one. When we're done today, what learnings do you want our listeners to walk away
1: with? Well, Sean, I kind of hope that the listeners will learn a little more about funding. I know some of them are probably familiar with it. So hopefully it's kind of those finer points that really help them. Other ones, it's really the framework, the landscape of how funding works, what's out there and how to go about getting it.
0: Well, that would be a great thing for us to accomplish. Now, in a world where we have a, a sitting president of the United States who believes in fake news and alternative facts, I think it's really important for our listeners and for everyone to listen to people's advice through a critical lens so that they understand the context and where it's coming from. I know that FUNEC has given you a lot of insight into the Canadian financing landscape. I, I know that it, it provides support for entrepreneurs, but I want you to tell me at its heart, what is the value proposition and, and how can it benefit That's a good
1: way to start, actually. So Donald Trump kind of has a lot of fake news. There's a lot of things out there. I think in the world of funding, it's kind of been the same way, where there's a lot of grants, tax credits, loans, VCs, lots of different things out there. And at certain times, you hear about some, sometimes you hear about others, not knowing what really is real, what's available, what you should really focus on. So if you kind of go back to the origin story of Fundica, we were helping companies with Funding, we are identifying grants, you know, tax credits, primarily government funding for them. And we went to a few companies and they just said, fortunately we're at the beginning with some large ones and said, listen, can you just find all the programs for us? We can't actually seem to do this easily. So we did that a few times. At first it was an Excel, we did it for some large companies, we started doing it for some small companies, we did it even for some government organizations and and then we realized this is kind of uh, and something that should be solved through the internet and there's much better ways to do this so we went online at first we put kind of a very of a static database and with time it's become really very much a crowdsource. i wouldn't say crowd that's a whole different thing crowdsourcing where we have funders coming and updating their programs we have some advisors now updating programs and we have some bots and we also have a research team updating so it's something that As much as possible, we're trying to take away the mystery, the kind of fake news part, put it all in one place and make it all accessible. It's all free so entrepreneurs can come and find what is available for them.
0: Now, Mike, you mentioned a variety of sources, and I think that in the last decade, there's been all sorts of new sources come along. You know, private equity is still private equity, angel investors are still angel investors, but there's been this shift in the cost to launch. You know, and five million dollars in 1997 got you an online store. Mm-hmm. For, you know, five dollars in a Shopify account gets you a store mm-hmm. today. So, what about the avenues? So, we know some of the sources have changed, but are, are there new avenues of finding capital, or is it still meeting after meeting, face to face? Is any of this new ICO, crowdfunding, uh, online transactions, angel list, is any of it making uh, a dent in how entrepreneurs fund capital? What are the different That's avenues? a good
1: question. I, I think there is. there are definitely some success stories out there with the crowdfunding, uh, where someone puts something up on the internet, often it's a kind of pre-sale of a product. Um, there are some cases where it's equity as well, so they kind of start getting funding that way. Um, there's the ICO, so that's the... Uh, you know kind of the whole selling of on the kind of cryptocurrency blockchain type you know the new new stream new way of doing things um but for the most part those are still kind of tools that are very early on and really used by a very small minority of entrepreneurs raising funds um for the most part it comes down to you know the, the grants kind of the first thing people look at often tax credits kind of go along with that tax credits by the way too are not always reduce taxes sometimes tax credits and for the most part actually tax credits give you a refund so they're like grants but at the end of your fiscal year not beginning or during your fiscal year generally speaking
0: So, I always look at them as a down payment that the federal government is making on the future taxes they yeah, hope to generate. Yeah that's the
1: way they kind of look at it um, certainly they're always kind of doing it with a you know societal benefit is what they're looking for so either to encourage the different situations research and development young entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, different things like that But for for both grants and tax credits, for that matter, they're trying to encourage these things. And um, as a result, they're investing in companies that hopefully will create jobs and create wealth for all of us.
0: I hear you talking about these avenues that are actually working, but yet most people think it's it's like dragon's den and and you and I both know that's not how it is both on Dragon's Den and in the real world but with these other sources this you know crowdfunding is great if you can get early adopters to prepay for your product there's no better traction than that uh, strategic finance is good but why do you think people are so obsessed with this concept of a venture capitalist
1: I think, I think it's sexy you know someone just got uh, two million dollars it's kind of like they just won the lottery uh unfortunately the way it's painted
0: raising funding isn't a celebratable event i mean it isn't the end of the story it's not look at us we're so smart we raised money it's look at us we're so smart we used that money and made an actual return
1: (laughs) well interestingly enough i agree that the actual success story should be okay i got the final exit Um, but i think the story that catches the eyes of People are hey, I just got you know 10 million dollars, 20 million dollars, or a million dollars, which is actually not necessarily you wanted. Now you've actually on taken on a big burden as well because uh, someone now is expecting you to invest that money in a way that's going to make them quite a bit of money, so it's uh. Well, the
0: investor's own goals then become you know, linked to yours if they need an exit, if they need an ongoing public transaction, that sort of overreaches into you, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: exactly. So I actually, and I, I say this continuously, I think the least attractive form of funding is VC funding. It's the most expensive. It's the most onerous. Uh, you deal with uh, you know, very different uh, kind of missions in and in, in direction than, than company owners often have. Uh, and they very much get a fair bit of control as well. So it's really the the most challenging form of funding to take on, uh, and it's really the last step of what you should be looking for. Unfortunately, if you read the newspaper, it's usually the first thing people hear about. People don't go into the newspaper because they got a big grant. They actually get the newspaper article because they got a a big funding amount. So it's it's kind of interesting how the media portrays it one way, and in reality, um, if I had a choice, I'd rather much get a, a million dollar grant, of course, than a million dollar investment.
0: Well, I don't have to pay it back. I don't have to listen to some guy in brown pants and a blue jacket. And I and I don't have to let someone who holds, you know, 12% of my company make the decision. So I think there's a lot of downsides. And biggest downside isn't even one we've talked about because we assume our listeners know. It's that venture capital only wants a very small, slim cut of certain types of startups you know the majority of our economy is small business and 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 mm-hmm. that's okay but that's not necessarily the companies that are going to go from zero to a billion in five years right. or less yeah, i agree.
1: I kind of see it as a bit of a story like funding it's kind of a step you need to go through and there's kind of like i see it as three kind of pre-funding steps and then three funding steps so let me take it so take take down that journey. So, so the three the first three steps I see is really you have to get some kind of market fit, market viability. You should, you should be able to figure out does this product make sense at all? And
0: so we call that problem solution fit. You know, is there a big enough problem that early adopters will put up with a crappy MVP because it solves a real inelastic issue, so right, so, right. that. so that
1: really and that doesn't take much money to, to kind of test at least limited testing. So, that would be the first thing. The second thing is a team. If you're really gonna build something of scale, you're gonna need at least two co-founders. You know, one technical, one financial, um, if it's a technical thing. But even if it's a non-technical thing, you probably want at least two co-founders to, if you wanna scale this thing to any big size. It's gonna be very small, of course, you're fine with one. You can run your little business on your own, but if you wanna scale, you'll need at least two people. Uh, so that's before you get to funding. And the last thing I would say before funding almost ironic to say that is you need a little bit of money. So you need to have either some inheritance, a part-time job, a bit of love money coming in somewhere, Uh, love money meaning kind of family money or friends. You need some money just so you can survive, you know, for a few weeks at least, um, so you can go into the next three steps, which are funding. And when you get into the funding steps, I always look at it again, it's kind of order of three, grants, tax credits, you offer first, free, easiest to get, you know, really, the first place you should look non-deleterive financing, really right? Cash the... you're getting, which is, and with no strings attached for the most part, so that's pretty good. The second thing would be go see a bank. Of course, the banks only really can be interesting if you have either cash flow or assets. So a lot of early stage entrepreneurs just kind of skip that step and just keep going. And the next step, which is the third one, which is the least desirable and this is the last step in funding, is go to the VCs or angels. And again as we spoke about before more demanding higher returns they're expecting uh, more control they're taking uh, and dilutive. Uh, so um, those are kind of the steps the way i see it and the one of the biggest mistake i see is that people kind of like playing monopoly they're not going around the board they go right to boardwalk i want to go right to the bc um, that's never going to work never it's not going to work some of the time it's never going to work you really have to go through all the steps. And the better you've done the steps before you get to the VC, the more, you know, credible you'll be, the the greater your chances will be.
0: And the more traction you likely have to show that it's not just you who thinks this is a good idea, but potentially early adopters. Now, what should our listeners keep in mind when it comes to finding funding that is right for them and their business?
1: So, um... I think there's you need to, first of all, identify the right funding sources out there. There are thousands of grants out there, so really find the right ones out there. Fundica is one way to do that. It is free. Again, it takes 30 seconds or so. you can go in and find it. Identify the best ones for you. And it shouldn't be a list of you know, 10, 20, 30 grants or tax credits. It should really be two or three, generally speaking, uh, at the most. If you really don't have any, that's that, that may be the case. If you're opening a little corner store, there may be nothing available for you. And you'll just skip that step, but you identify that early on. Um, so figure out what those are, work on on those specific programs, um, go as far as you can with those, and then move on to, as I said, the other steps, other loans, or that kind of equity funding, which is the angels or the... the so that, I think that's, that's kind of... This, I guess I'm coming back to the steps again there.
0: Absolutely. But... Let, let, let's keep on that theme now. So uh, you, no matter the source, there's, there's people involved. So can you describe the relationship between the entrepreneur and the source of funding, whether that be a funder or a granting agency? You know, how do you begin building that sort of relationship or do you just show up one day and, and say this okay, is what question. I do? good question.
1: So it really depends on the source of funding. So if you look at tax credits, it's really based on the law. There's really no relationship to build. It's really, do you fit it or not? And it's gonna kind of come down to you put it in either through a tax filing, or in some cases you'll do it through some, you know, preliminary step to, to get to that, but it's really based on the law and it's not about, you know, building a big relationship. Of course you have to treat the other party with respect and if they ask for additional information and provide it and do things that you would normally expect to do, but it's not something that turns into really a long-term relationship and it's not really based on subjectiveness. You go to grants, there, it very much as grants or government loans would be much more subjective. Um, and in that case, you first of all want to get in line early, and this is the right time of the year to do that. April 1st, the government programs all get refunded. So it's a good time to be in line right now. Uh, you get in line and then you need to build uh, kind of a relationship with them. Uh, it's a win-win relationship. You always want to build. What you're doing is going to help them as, as well as helping you. Um, and, you know, understanding what the differences are in the different programs is important. If it's about hiring young people, obviously you want to focus on that. When you, you build a relationship, it's about more about, you know, R&D or things, you're going to focus on that aspect. So really understanding what they're all about and going through that. If you go down to let's say banks and investors, so Bane, Angel, VC, there the relationship becomes a little more intimate. You could say it's a little more, more like dating. Uh, you really need to be kind of win-win long-term And it's going to come down to a a number of different factors in terms of what they're looking for. But they're, you know, starting from the grants all the way down to the bottom, they're going to have to like you, and you're going to have to kind of hit the buttons they're looking for. So really understanding what they're looking to do and what they're looking for is is very important.
0: So let's talk about that. You know, in your mind, regardless of the source, what are the top two or three or four things that funders look for? in uh in a pitch and later on in due diligence yeah, certainly in a
1: pitch they're always going to look to see first of all the team you need that team i've seen companies get funded just because of the team so team is for sure the most important thing uh and you want to show that you're a credible team capable team balanced team a you know, well composed team that can execute what you're trying to do the second thing would be the market and unfortunately some engineers and i'm an engineer so i can say that uh you know they kind of forget about the market they think it's a cool product uh, the market is very important. So when I say market, it's, is it will it pay? Is it large enough? Is it really accessible? So all these kind of elements come into the market. So really making sure the market's there would be the, the second most important thing. And I think the larger the amount you're looking to go raise, the more important that market becomes. The third thing, and I really put it as third, is the the product. So how good is the product? What is the product? Are you doing something that has intellectual property? Is really unique? Is really Something that uh, you can kind of build moats around so that it could be it really grow well um, without too much competition. That would be kind of the third thing. And then um, I guess the, the fourth thing would be uh, the traction. So, what kind of traction are you showing around all this? Uh,
0: well, I think that's great. And I want to pick up on that traction because more and more, it, it isn't what you could do in the future, but prove to me you could do it by showing me what you've done in the past. So to me, that's traction, right? Traction, you know, pre-orders, prepaid is the best form of traction, sales, but there's all sorts of forms of, of traction. So tell me, regardless of the source of capital, uh, how can entrepreneurs measure and display the, the growth, the traction that makes their startup attractive? What are people trying to, to look right. to see? Well, certainly
1: they, the, the best traction of all is profit hey if you have growing profits that's very easy for to investors to understand of course most stocks don't have that the next best would be growing revenue and kind of stable recurring revenue is what they're looking for that's it's not getting a lot of churn uh that would be uh the kind of second you know second type of traction uh, but you can kind of go further down from there too, or you may say "Listen, we're growing in terms of, you know, the size the number of users. So how many Facebook, you know, how many people have, are using on Facebook or other kind of platforms or systems. So the number of users could be another kind of, let's call it proxy for traction. Um, and then you have to just you may have to be creative and, and kind of look at what kind of statistics can you show that are growing? So in certain cases, you know, I've seen people come and say, hey, we, we haven't really done too much, but the number of problems, you know, or the, the size of the market is growing at 30, 40 percent. We haven't really done anything there, but the market's growing so fast and we're entering it as a you know a, a really good potential team, we're gonna do pretty well. So the traction's not even yours yet, you're actually going to get it from someone else, in this case the market. But if you can go show some kind of growth, some kind of uh you know upward trend. Um, That would be great. Of course, the closer it is to actually showing it as profit, the better it is.
0: Absolutely. So the way I have it here is, if you look at it from best to worst, showing growth in profit, showing growth in revenue, showing growth in users, and then maybe if you got nothing else, showing growth in market. Now, you keep saying growth, and I think that's really important because I think most people overlook it. They're so busy with the vanity metrics that we have 10,000 users, or we have 3,000 monthly recurring revenue. That I I think that's an interesting dot, but I'm more interested as an investor in the line, in the trend. So is that why you keep bringing up growth it's it's not enough to have a certain number there's no magic number that after which you're going to get funded is it more uh looking at the trends and what's coming down the pipe i
1: think especially early on right it's 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 about where you could go how big this could be how much profit you could make so they're going to put some money in they want to make sure that they're going to get they put a dollar in one side they're going to get two dollars out the other the best way to show that is you know in in a kind of growing company
0: Let's go on the other side of the equation. I remember during the time I spent with Dragon's then, determining the amount of capital you'll require is difficult for some people. And I want to know if you have any guidance in that. You know, how do you help startups determine or how do you advise or how have you seen done well startups determine the amount of capital they, they think they need to acquire?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think in certain cases – you know, they're going to they're going to go raise whatever money they can. So um, they're really we need to raise some money. They're just going to put a number out to raise just to get something that they can realistically attain. So I see that particularly with very early. These were there. They really have no very little to show, but they need some money to get going. So they're going to raise 50, 100, 150,000. That's really just going to be their early pre-seed type of raise. Um, but once you get past that, you should be raising to get to a certain milestone. Uh, and I would say even with that one, it would be a better way to pitch probably. So we're always trying to get to a milestone in some cases.
0: So figure out what the next milestone is and work backwards. Yeah, figure out what that. the
1: next milestone is and then work backwards. And I would I would say that you want a milestone that's at least you know 12 months out. So if you have a milestone for two months out, that's really not going to help because you should you may not get funded by the time you get it, but it should be at least 12 months and if possible, even 24 months.
0: I think that's a great way to think about that. You know, I want to ask you about the, the tips for entrepreneurs to keep control of their business when they're, when they're acquiring outside capital. You know, I think there's a, an ongoing myth that's perpetuated by Dragon's Den that, that talks about, I need 50% of your company to control your company. But you and I both know that any lawyer in the world can write a shareholder's agreement that says, uh, my 1% gives me control, or you can't do the following activities once you have my money without my permission. So considering how much outside investors can exert control, how do you think entrepreneurs can manage that?
1: Right. Well, I kind of think they when you're raising a fund, a certain amount of money as well, uh, as much as the money you're raising, the valuation are important. Uh, the other consideration is the percentage. So when you're doing a first raise, typically people don't raise more than 20, 25%. They won't dilute more than 20, 25% of the company you can do the math backwards to see how much that turns into in the valuation, because if they raise more than that, you know, by the second or third round, they're going to actually lose control. Um, and losing control is actually not a good thing in a lot of cases for the investors as well. Because once the entrepreneur has control, he may not have motivation as well. So it kind of goes both ways. And then you know, the investors really should they be taking control. It's a risky thing for an investor because they're not going to demotivate the actual entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur, he wants to keep control because he's built this thing and he wants to, to see it through. So on both sides, there's, a, would say, a motivation to not take control in terms of how to do that. Um, you know, I, I always like to keep things very simple from the shareholder agreement to the actual you know, amounts invested. So I would try as best as possible to keep it very simple in the shareholder agreement, in the actual subscription agreement as well, so that it's clear what percent they're getting and you know they're getting more or less proportionate rights to that.
0: I think that makes sense. Now, Fundica Online, we've talked a little bit about. Tell me about the roadshow. You know, what was the unmet market need that you felt that could be addressed in this way? What is it? What's the value prop? And and then we can get into it a little bit Sure. So the
1: origin story in Fundica, I explained before, we kind of saw it because it wasn't really clearly organized in any one place, all the programs, and all the funding sources. So we kind of did that. And after a couple of years... It was great. We're doing it online. We had a certain amount of demand uh, through the users saying, "Hey, we'd like to actually meet these these funders. We have we don't have opportunities to meet them. So um, so we decided, let's actually launch this online and actually we have all the funders in our in our system, and we also have all the entrepreneurs. So we actually decided to to try that out, and it actually worked out pretty well. We did five cities our first year, and um, it really was kind of the on location version of what's being done with Fundica online. And um, and since then, we've kind of grown it. Um, it kind of started out really as a marketing exercise for Fundika and now it's become really its own entity, you could say, and it has its own group, its own team around it, it manages that. And it's, I would say it's really just an extension of what's out there in terms of, is it, you know, it's, it's an entrepreneur type event. There are a number of those across the country. Um, you know, we try to make it unique in terms of how we present it, what speakers we have, the pitch competition, the prizes, you know, last year is a million, this year we have half a million. Um, so the different things we kind of package it around, but I think there's a lot of other great events out there as well. So this is just one other great one to add to the kind of schedule events going, and ours happens to be across the country.
0: Okay, well, you know what, you've done it for a number of years. Uh- Tell me the, the the best story. So who's benefited the most and what do you think led to that outcome? Because I think we can learn a lot by watching the success of others.
1: Right. So there's a whole bunch of them that have graduated from it, raised money, and even exited. Um, I like one of the stories was Great Slam. So they came the first year. They just made it on the list of finalists to pitch at one of the events. Uh, they
0: so for those who don't know, Gradeslam is, a, I believe, a Montreal-based company that does an online tutoring program, That's if right. I have it right. That's right.
1: And it's an interesting one where they changed their business model quite a bit over time. You know, it was a video service. It, was a, you know, it became a messaging service. They kind of, anyway, a few different changes in their business model, a few pivots. Um, but exactly that is kind of in the education space. Um, so they came, They the first time they they pitched, it wasn't really that good a pitch. They just made it on stage, uh, you know, it was all right. The next year they came back, they did pretty well. Uh, the third year they finally came back, they actually won. Um, they, you know, through all that, they actually you know, met investors and the like. They raised a pretty good size round of funding, they've grown. So it was a nice progression of of, you know, through the years. Last year they actually came back and spoke as a success story. And um, it was really nice to see that go on. And I would say not only did they get more successful in terms of raising funding, um, the team got much more polished. They got much more focused in terms of where they're going. Uh, they really grew in all the different ways, which was which was really nice to see.
0: Um, yeah, I think it, it's yes, Phil, isn't Phil it? Phil Cutler. One of the, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and he's amazing in the fact that he just seems to be always learning. Like even when he, f- so quote unquote, fails, he seems to be able to turn that into something that when he does it again, he, he learns even more. Let's talk about learning from failures. So not everybody succeeds and not everybody succeeds in getting you know grants or getting funding or, or the outside. It, are there some lessons that we can take away from the years of exposure to this process that, that can save some people some, some failures?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of lessons. There's probably more lessons from failures and from success stories. In fact, this year we're doing a, a little panel on, you know, failure stories. So people that had some small ones and even we're looking at some pretty large failures and the lessons learned. Uh, so I think, you know, coming back to me with the stuff we talked about before, about the different things an entrepreneur looks for in a pitch, make sure you have that market, make sure you have that team, make sure you have that product. Uh, Make sure you have, you know, uh, enough funding to do what you really want to do. And I I think there's, there's, you know, it's a learning process. We're all kind of learning as we go along and in each of these areas, there's things to improve on. And as you grow, it's not necessarily the same team you want either. So you need to grow. It's not the market may evolve. All these things may change. So it's kind of adapting as you go and, um, I think the, the entrepreneurs like Phil Cutler who are, you know, able to take big leaps of faith, do big pivots as necessary, uh, and still kind of continue to build all the relationships and build the team and, you know, the, those are the ones who succeed, but it's uh, it's a combination of a lot of different things that make a company work and learning all the small different things that, that are missing are important and, you know, and I, I think that those that kind of learn the best are most likely to succeed.
0: So we've talked about tax credits and grants and, and, and arm's length investors, but we haven't talked about the number one source of, of most small business and startup funding. And that's bootstrapping using, you know, revenue from customers, using early materials to, to, to grow later on. What role do you think bootstrapping has in the Canadian landscape? And what do you think it does when you bootstrap and then later go for external capital?
1: Right. So I think bootstrapping is by far the best source of funding because not only are you getting some money in, but at the same time, you're actually validating to some degree, at least what you're trying to do, if if, assuming the bootstrapping again is related to what your ultimate product is about. So if you can do that, it's really the best source of funding. I would say it's even better than grants. It's not free, but it does help you validate where you're going. So I I think it's an important part. And if you look back on a lot of successful companies. There's often a good bootstrapping component to it.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons why I like things like Kickstarter, not the Kickstarter for equity, but the Kickstarter for here's a watch that I'm going to sell in three years for $400. If you support me in this process with a $100 contribution, you'll get that $400 watch a year earlier and $200 cheaper. And the reason I like that isn't because it eliminates the need for one private investor, but it gives you access to early adopters. It gives you access to people who are willing to be first. And and I wonder if bootstrapping in your mind has other values.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. So I think it's a good way to get the product out there. It's a good way to build relationships with your clients. Um, And a a good example for us is, uh, you know, the roadshow. So we have a number of partners And some of those partners we've worked with over the last couple of years uh, have now become clients for actually uh, fundica.com. So fundica.com is a free service, but we are starting to license the data behind it. So we have more or less bootstrapped by working with Mm -hmm. sponsors and partners uh, on the roadshow in very traditional ways. We help them, we do very kind of traditional type things. And we've built a relationship, they see what we can do like what we're doing then they come along and get more involved in something which is more new which is you know fundica.com how does it work how can they work with us and uh and so it's a kind of a nice way for us to kind of to bring them in and start working on you know our kind of core system
0: Well, you know what? I could talk to you forever, Mike, but we're almost out of time. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for listening to the Startup Canada Podcast Network, in particular, the Startup Finance Podcast. Uh, I'm Sean Wise. We're talking today with Mike Lee. Mike, do you have any final thoughts or words of advice that our listeners should take to heart?
1: Well, Sean, it's been a pleasure speaking. I would say, you know, follow the steps in terms of going to get funding. So make sure you look at the market go get your team, have some bootstrapping or some love money around and go get the grants, then the, the loans, then, then the equity. So follow those steps, you know, always work towards building strong relationships with all the funders, and, and realize that this is really a process funding. It's not a one-time event. Uh, that's probably my biggest you know, takeaway. Or, um, thing I'd like to leave you with. Um, and yeah, again, it's been a pleasure speaking.
0: Well, it, it really has. And I can't strongly enough support the comment you just made. You know, if I've heard anything today, it's that you need to match your traction with your potential source of capital. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to providing entrepreneurs with advice and experiences on startup finance. Want to access more resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca to gain access to support, resources, and events. And be sure while you're there to check out all the other original Startup Canada podcast series on the Startup Canada podcast
1: network.